0: he's controversial 20
1: 30 40 50 years from now
0: he's outspoken
1: you will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great great grandkids
0: and he tells it like it is
1: that you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time he is the
0: franchise shane douglas and you are listening to the triple threat podcast prepare to get your ass franchised. to you today empowered on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner from the two-man power trip the one and only jp john Paz. and on this show i wish i could cue his theme music right now but you hear that at the beginning of the uh, the introduction he is here for episode number 86 my lucky number here Going back to 1986, year of the New York Mets. Welcoming in one more time, the franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome in to uh, a great numbered episode.
1: Ooh, I love this guy's franchise. He's my favorite wrestler of all time.
0: <laughs> is is Raven on the phone? Because then my favorite wrestler would be on, too. <laughs> Ouch.
1: <laughs> wow. Remember what I said about Ribbon earlier? Uh you know, a little browless, uh podcast partner here or there, what you know, just to spice things up.
0: Uh... <laughs> I love you. What can I say? But welcome in here to episode number eighty-six. Uh, getting ready for another fun one here as we uh, we sent you some links to watch. And uh, we're going to talk about the uh, ECW Untold that we talked about, just kind of the overview last week. But we sent you the link to kind of give your take on it, and we're going to read you some funny tweets uh, that came in as we uh, we posted the video link to uh, Twitter as well to let everybody know that we were going to be talking about the show in a little bit uh, greater detail. Uh, one by Francine, so you'll enjoy that, but. Uh, here we go. As we uh, announced you for the markout at the Meadowlands last week and the week before that was our TNP Con 3. The uh, the questions and the uh, the interest starts to build. And Shane, for you, I know you get to be so busy over that WrestleMania weekend. Do you start to have to like mentally prepare for these things a few weeks ahead of time? Because that's a lot of shows and a hefty schedule that you're going to have that weekend.
1: Well, we, yeah, we, we sort of plan strategically, travel, that sort of thing. Actually, this, this time for WrestleCon, we're going to be traveling into uh, New York uh, a couple days early just to be able to do this one time without having to rush and you know push and, and get in there and sit down and just get right into franchise mode. So we'll be in the uh, Big Apple a few days early and uh, taking in some of the sites and and, and then a busy weekend, but you know, to me, WrestleCon weekend is always a a great weekend. You know, a you get to see a lot of your brothers and sisters that you don't normally see during the course of the year. Uh, some you see multiple times, and others you don't see until the next WrestleCon. Uh, you know, so and then the fans. Uh, the thing about the WrestleCon fans is, WrestleCon has become. I think as much an ancillary part of WrestleMania as WrestleMania to the, the, the wrestling fans, they know that WrestleCon is going to be there and they know that uh, at WrestleCon, they're going to get to see a lot of stars that <laughs> some may or may not have uh, wanted to kiss Vince's ass, literally or figuratively, <laughs> um, and get a chance to say hello to, to you know, and, and meet their favorite stars uh, or that star that they love to hate. Uh, so, it's going to be a great time. We're looking forward to it.
0: And you said to us on this show that you hadn't seen, I think it was Bob Roop in, you know, 30 something years. Well, we interviewed Missy Hyatt yeah. for an upcoming episode of uh, The Two Man Power Trip. And Missy Hyatt will now be at uh, Mark out at the Meadowlands. She told us she hasn't seen Scott Casey in 31 years. So, knowing the history that they've got together, uh, Mark out at the Meadowlands, there you go, reuniting after 31 years, Scott Casey and Missy Hyatt. There
1: you go. I mean, exactly what I just said, you know, there's some of these people, you know, we don't see each other for however long in 31 years, I guess. And, uh, you know, so you get a chance to see some of these people that you don't normally see and, you know, judging from our business, you don't know if you'll ever see them again. I mean, we talked about King Kong Bundy having seen him in August and then December. And, you know, here we are. Uh, so, you know, for us, uh, those in the fraternity of professional wrestling, It gives us a chance to say hello and and see some people that we don't quite often see. And, uh, you know, from where I sit, from my point of view, it's a pretty, pretty damn cool thing.
0: It's so awesome, and especially, I mean, I love just sitting back and watching you guys talk. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many shows we've been to, and just I literally just you you sit back and like you put you you put you guys in the TV box, and you look at it, and you're like, you know what? That's just as cool as watching a match, and seeing you guys reconnect, or, or seeing you talk to a, a friend, like you said, you haven't seen in a long time. So that's one of the cool things. If you're gonna be in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Pennsylvania area get your your butts up to either WrestleCon in New York City or stay in uh, in New Jersey and come out and see us on uh, Saturday April uh, excuse me Sunday April 7th at the Meadowlands Hotel matmcon.com for more we'll talk about that again later on in the show but Shane you were in Ohio over the weekend and again the lovely Twitterverse tweeting out a picture we got to ask what happened they said that your gear was lost so what happened with your gear over the weekend
1: no, my gear wasn't lost <clears throat> to somebody in Ohio that can kiss my franchise ass. Somebody en route. Uh, I made three stops between uh, the franchise uh, Casa de Franchise in Pittsburgh and uh, the show in Circleville. And at the first stop, I know definitively that my car was locked because when I came out, I went to get in the car and if I broke my fingers when well, I went to open the door, and, and it was locked, so I had to unlock the door to get in. Uh, the next two stops, one was at a speedway uh, on Interstate 70 uh, to get gas, and the next was a little mom-and-pop shop on some back road. I took a, an alternate route in, and it was one of those things where your map quest tells you 3.4 miles make a right, 2.1 miles make a left, 3.6 miles make a right. It was a constant weaving in and out of roads. And um, we, I, we know because the Speedway, We had spoke, Moose and I had spoken to the Speedway, uh, they went back and pulled up the security cam footage and saw that nobody got into my car uh, while it was there at Speedway. And so it had to be at the mom and pop shop. And where that is, I could find it if I was driving that route again. Uh, it was a little tiny storefront, but I get to the building in Circleville, and when I go to get out of the car, I it's, I always have my bag traveling in the back passenger seat. And I walked around and open the door, and I'm you know sort of in a brain fart, and I'm sitting there staring at the seat and thinking, like, what am I looking for and then when I realized my my bag and it's not there, I thought, well, maybe I, I must have put it in the trunk. That's odd because I rarely put my bag in the trunk. So I walk back and I pop the trunk open and there's no bag in the trunk. And I go back and now I start replaying in my head before I left home. And I remember vividly about five A in the morning putting my bag in the car and I come out and you know, put it in the car and leave now I'm rewinding in my mind at Circleville, knowing that I put my bag in my back seat and it's not there and then like you know, you sort of the aha moment. It must have been someplace I stopped and only three stops to first place. The car lock Speedway being ruled out. Having looked at their video footage, and so at that mom and pop shop, somebody in Ohio robbed the franchise. I've been robbed in Ohio more than once, but uh, <laughs> but you know for for legit now this time uh, with uh, en route to Circleville. So yeah, I had to perform in my street gear, but I, I think still did like a pretty franchises job.
0: <laughs> From what I understand, you might've, uh, as we warned you, we, 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 ch- we, told you to be on your best behavior last week. We heard that, uh, there may have been a couple chops administered by a, uh, a friend of yours, uh, that evening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, a little, uh, little Ricky steamboat dude, trying, you trying to, you how many times is this guy going to try to steal my spotlight?
2: That's the <laughs> only
1: question I have. I mean, it's, right, you know, the, uh, it's always great to see Ricky Steamboat. Always a great time.
0: Well, I guess we could send out an APB then to uh, the, the Triple Threat Universe here. If you see any, you know, quote-unquote ring-used gear of the franchise getting thrown up uh, on any uh, online auction sites in the next couple days, we, we might have a uh, a nice view of our perpetrator, but that's such bullshit. I mean, that that's terrible to hear that, you know, because... Um, you know, I... Just
1: to, just to jump in for a second. Yeah, you know, go ahead. Because i, I got to say this. I'm one of these people that I'd rather you, like, look, if you're, if you're hard up, hit me up when I come out of the building, you know, come out of the picture, a, a few bucks, whatever. Uh, but I'd rather you punch me in the face than steal from me. Um, I just don't go for that. That thieving stuff. I just, maybe it's the way I was raised. I I think mean, most people like that, but like that there's something in me that like in my DNA that when, once I realized my bag was missing and, and it sort of settled in, like after you, like I said, you, you go through the, the, your, your day and where you stopped and everything. And then you realize somebody had to get in my car very quickly. I was only there for three, four five minutes, grab that bag and go, uh, you know, what a piece of shit, honestly. And what an absolute piece of shit, uh, but I uh, you know, fortunately, I think the world's full of, of better people than that. Uh, but clearly, there's at least one too many pieces of shit out there that feel you know, they have a right to take what's yours just because fill in the blank, I needed it. I think I needed it. I wanted it. You, your back is turned, you're not nearby. Whatever the case may be, it's a piece of shit that would steal something from somebody in my honest opinion.
0: Yeah, and it's terrible because they don't, not, of course they don't know what they're taking in a duffel bag and they don't know what's going to be inside. So, who knows Correct. what it ended up. They could have just chucked it five seconds later for all we know. But that sucks, man. I'm sorry to hear that. That's uh, that's not a fun way to start a, uh, a night in Ohio. Well,
1: on, on the positive note to it, uh, th- that is only the first time in my career that that's happened. Wow. And considering that I've had a, what seven eight nine year career now um <laughs> uh not not too bad on the odds but still like i said i, I just to me that's just absolute trash
0: <laughs> and that's saying something for how many times you performed in the city of philadelphia
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i'm pumped
0: <laughs> right see i told you i want to incorporate sound effects I, I need a rim shot next that's the other thing i got to add to <laughs> yeah, the database yeah. Oh, man, that's pretty funny. But, yeah, we're going to get into it here about ECW Untold in a few minutes in that link we sent you. Uh, But also, you know, coming down the road, we might have uh, an address change coming. Not 100% locked in yet, but there might be an address change coming to the Triple Threat Podcast. And uh, it's a very cool one. And uh, I know uh, in the wrestling world, change can be good. So let's see. Uh, we have an interesting road ahead of us, there, franchise. So we'll see uh, what happens next.
1: <laughs> All we can do is get up tomorrow morning and see what happens, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: hey, exactly. And one more thing, I know another little uh, little asterisk I want to throw in. I mentioned it in our little group chat today. Today that we're recording this is Thursday, and today is the what would have been the forty seventh birthday of Chris Candido. So quickly, if you can reflect on your good friend uh, Chris Candido. Uh, amazing he would have only been 47 I'm sure he still would have been in the ring at this point but uh, such still every year we reflect on him devastating loss
1: yeah there's no doubt in my mind at 47 he was you know Chris was one of those guys that really was into the fitness part of it you know, hence the body don is you know in Vince world where like creative geniuses let's see what's your big hobby okay motorcycles we're going to make you a motorcycle We're going to make you a biker guy because I'm so creative genius. Uh, So, you know, but Chris was huge into uh, physical fitness and keeping himself in shape. And I think part of that was, you know, not being a seven foot tall guy and, uh, you know, not being, you know, the kind of physically intimidating guy we'd see. But if you go back and you look at Chris Candido at any stage of his career, even when he was out of shape, he was in great shape for the general population. Uh, so at 47, I have no doubt that Chris Candida would still look pretty much the same. Uh, and uh, when you guys said that to me, this, I've been so busy over the last several weeks. And, you know, just time sort of and you sort of forget like what month it is, what day it is, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, when you guys sent the link about, you know, being his, his birthday today, I was floored because I was just talking to somebody this past weekend and they'd asked me and I said, uh, you know, I did a quick math in my head cause I remember my Gazinta's from Jethro and I said, uh, he'd be 47 years old right now. And, you know, so I had no idea even when I said that this past weekend that his birthday was going to be this weekend and today. Um, but the, the world, you know, we've lost so many in wrestling that we sort of become numb to it. Uh, Chris is one of those guys and and maybe it's because of the triple threat connection, but I think on a, on a, on a higher level to me, it was because we were friends outside of the ring aside from what we did inside the ring, you know? So for me, like, you know, Chris, you know, especially at such a young age passing on uh, and from such a, uh, such an unlikely reason, You know, I mean, how many broken bones I've had in my career. And to think that that's basically what led to ultimately to Chris Candido's death. And as a part of it, it makes you feel, you know, I should play the Powerball tonight because I'm a little bit lucky. You know, I've had how many broken bones and that hasn't happened. Thank God. Uh, But, you know, I can still vividly, vividly, like it happened yesterday, remember the phone call. From Tommy Dreamer that alerted me that this had happened, and just the—I you know, was head of uh, uh, talent relations at TNA at the time, and had to subsequently then hang up the phone and make phone calls to Dixie and Dusty Rhodes and you know all sorts of people in TNA. Uh, it was very surreal, uh, to say the least. Yeah, because Chris had just been down. He had gotten injured, of course, at TNA, and we rushed him to the hospital and the surgery. You know, all of it was just very by the book. Okay, here's here's a guy with a broken, a badly broken ankle, uh, but he's having surgery and they've done this and he's stabilized and he's going to be fine. It's going to take some recovery time. Blah blah blah, and. A couple of days later, I get a phone call from Tommy Dreamer, crying, asking me, you know, what happened to Chris. Uh, you could have knocked me over the feather, honestly. You could have knocked me over the feather because I honestly believe that, you know, like like the t- game telephone, somebody along the way, getting this message to Tommy, fucked it up. You know, Chris has a badly broken ankle, but he ain't dead. And to find out that he was, you could have literally knocked over the feather. And what now with all the time passing by between, I cannot believe it's been that long, uh, 14 years now, but the, the, the thing that makes me as a wrestling fan, as a mark of the business, what magic would Chris Candido have created in the last 14 years? Uh, he was such a gifted in-ring performer that he made it look effortless and for those of us like me like i've always said i always had to work hard at it to see somebody be able to go to the ring and do it that effortlessly it was it really did make you jealous you know that this guy is just like on a different level and again as a fan looking back if I'd never met Chris Candido, my my question would be the same as I'm having right now with somebody that knew him intimately well. Uh, what kind of magic would Chris Candido have created in the last 14 years? Um, and and because, like we've said earlier, he would certainly still be involved in the ring, I, I've got to imagine what he could have done working with, Several of the people we see today as stars in the business, what would they have gleaned? Like I gleaned from working with the Terry Funks and the Ricky Steamboats and the Arn Andersons and Bobby Eaton's. What would this generation of stars have gleaned and picked up from working with someone like Chris Candido? And when you put it in that per- perspective, as good as anything you think you've seen uh, would have been made. I think exponentially better having had that experience of working with someone like Chris Candido. So again, what magic would Chris Candido have created the last 14 years had he not passed away at such a young age?
0: And virtually on the verge of another comeback, what he was doing with TNA at the time, because the lasting image that we remember him on TNA television was in the middle of a, of a huge storyline and he was really starting to reemerge in the managerial role and obviously, whatever that story was going to lead to, I think that that was going to be another renaissance of his in-ring career on another national uh, television product like TNA was.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. My understanding is it was going to, which is why they later plugged me into that role, uh, was that the the the, I, the thought was to having him lead the Naturals to the World Tag Team Titles, and you know that would have been a phenomenal storyline it certainly would have benefited the naturals. Uh, and you know, Chris, to me, is like one of those guys watching on camera that you couldn't take your eyes off of, not that uh, again, my personal, you know, I was more like in that Bruno vein having grown up here in Pittsburgh, uh, more the, uh, that's why I think I gravitated so much to funk, but Candido had something different, uh, Chris was able to wrap in. You know, he could one second be playing a goofy character, and in two breaths transition to being a serious character, and in two more breaths transition to being a comedy character. It was just effortless to him. He just sort of just leaned through it and just boom, 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 like you know, you know, hit a hit a ping pong ball back and forth. It was it was effortless to Chris. And again, as a performer, they they, they used to make me jealous that this guy can seamlessly move beyond between these things. You know, I was very good at playing a, a type of character. Chris could move effortlessly between all types of characters and make them all compelling to watch. And so, you know, again, like what would he have done having worked with this generation of kids? What would he have taught them? And, you know, it's, it, uh, again, the mark in me feels like I've been ripped off, you know, that the, there would have been some real magic in there. No, no question in my mind.
0: Yeah, sorely, sorely missed. And just to use the name Triple Threat for this podcast and get to say it every week, you know, that little piece of Chris Candido that we get to, uh, you know, say the words Triple Threat and he be obviously such a key member as well. It's always an honor and, uh, sorely, sorely missed and, uh, would have loved to have had the ability to have him on the air with us. Cause I know he would have been <laughs> by this point, he would have definitely been on the oh air with God. us. But um, we'll uh, we'll definitely talk about Chris Candido more. We always kind of come back to that version of the Triple Threat. But let's get into the topic at hand today. And we mentioned it to you last week. It was this WWE produced YouTube or WWE.com mini documentary about the WWE ECW reboot, uh, you know, retelling of a a promotion, whatever they wanted to call it. Uh, But they did a little documentary about it, and it was kind of, um looking at where it didn't go right and some of the things that could have worked but didn't. But we sent you the link to watch it and uh before we we get your thoughts on it, I just want to send you uh a couple of these uh these responses. So I just tweeted out the link and Francine was the first to respond with three poop emojis. So that should say enough right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty spot on. <laughs> Imagine that Francine shooting, right? I mean, where was she ever learned that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she told the unbelievable 20-minute story to us uh, the first time she came on the air with us about a year ago. She told us the whole entire thing from start to basically when she knew she was finished. Uh, and it was the first time you had ever talked with her about that. She told you everything from being signed to realizing how they didn't know anything about her. And how it was such a a parody of what ECW was. But as you saw in the documentary, they tried to go in a different direction, which is where I'm going to absolve myself (laughs) here. Because my good buddy Kevin Thorne is featured prominently in one of the little clips they show. And it did help launch his second career in another character. So I'm going to put him over because he's great. But we're going to focus on what the name was kind of bastardized with. So what were your thoughts on the documentary, Shane?
1: Well, you know, again, watching, just watching it, there were, you know, multiple things that jumped out at me. Uh, it was interesting to me to hear Paul's perspective. Uh, it was interesting to me to hear Tommy and and Sam's perspective on it. Uh, my perspective on the new ECW picks up with Tommy calling me. After they decided to relaunch, I guess it would have been 2005, uh, and called me like three or four days in a row. And, you know, the first phone call was, and we're just getting out of the meeting, you know, Vince has decided to relaunch ECW, and he wanted you to be my first call after that meeting. And, you know, I, I love Tommy. You know, we, we share such a history. And I, I think Tom Laughlin is a great guy. I, you know, I, but when Tommy was working for WWE and calling me and saying those things, you know, like we, we've joked about on this show, but it's an absolute shoot. Me and Vince don't get along. We're not going to get along. Uh, he doesn't respect me, and I'm more than happy to reciprocate that sentiment. Um <laughs> So to hear Tommy saying, you know, Vince wanted you to be my first call. It was,
2: <laughs> you know, it was
1: sort of hard not to just like sort of laugh out loud at him. Um, and we ended up talking three or four days. It was either three calls or four calls. And on the last call, this is when I was living in Florida. On the fourth day or the third day, whichever it would have been, uh I was driving around in my car in Florida talking to Tommy and I ended up pulling into an Applebee's near my home. And I went into Applebee's and had several beers and I think ordered dinner. uh, And the whole conversation basically was like, I guess an attempt to get me to say, yeah, hell yeah, I'll come in. It'd be great. (laughs) And I knew, Again, none of this stuff, I, I knew none, you know, watching this video clip, hearing Paul's comments and Tommy's comments, uh, especially, I knew none of that. I just knew that Vince McMahon never respected ECW from my stint as the dean up there when he would, you know, talk about ECW quite often. In fact, every pretty much every taping I'd seen him uh, while I was there as the dean uh, he would ask me very specific and poignant questions about ECW. You know, why the tables? Why, you know, why the chance? Why this? Why that? Uh, but he never once ever said to me the letters ECW. He would say when you were in the Bingo Hall Company, when you were in the small pond, the minor league. There were always these backhanded euphemisms making reference to ECW. So fast forward to this 2005 when the relaunching ECW supposedly I knew in my bones, I didn't need to hear it from Vince's mouth. I'd worked for the jackass. I know how he lies and I know the types of things that he says to lure you in. Um, I have no doubt the things that Tommy said were the things that he was told by this piece of shit. Um, But The fact that Tommy was reiterating them, it's like, you know, I'm I'm not going to go and tell Terry Funk about uh, Texas wrestling or Florida wrestling. I'm going to tell Terry Funk anything about any wrestling, but use those examples of, you know, those prime times in his career. Um, I'm not going to go tell Ricky Steamboat how he should run his angle with Ric Flair. Uh, Those are things that are set in history. Likewise, I know Vince McMahon and I know that the utter disrespect and detest he had for ECW in large part because it was able to make such a huge impact on wrestling uh, and on the industry and that it wasn't controlled by him is what drove him nuts. So I when I when Tommy called and talked about this relaunch and everything else, I had no idea where they were going to go with it, but if if there were two camps, one being returning it to ECW or Camp B being exactly what they did with it, I would have one hundred percent if you let me vote ten million times, one hundred percent of the time I would have voted to point to the B camp. They're gonna Vince is gonna attempt to make this more like a WWE product, sports entertainment trash. And And again, that's just based completely off of him having never said the letters ECW to one of the top guys from ECW. It'd be like sort of like somebody going to uh, AEW today and somebody never saying, you know, somebody, Tony Khan saying to John Cena, Hey, when you worked in that, you know, that other league, the minor, league over there, the the bingo hall company, the, you know, the, the, the the company in the towers up in stamp, you know, the backhanded euphemisms. Um, It it was pretty clear to me that Vince Man had no intention uh, of giving any kind of real spotlight, positive spotlight anyway, to ECW based completely on his inability to articulate the letters ECW to me.
3: So when Dreamer makes that call to you, is that Vince telling him to call you, or is that him thinking, I want the original ECW in some way, shape, or form, I'm calling Shane, I'm getting Shane on board?
1: I, 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 to be honest, I don't know. I, 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 all I can tell you is what he told me. He told me that they had just come out of the meeting, and Vince wanted me to be the first phone call. Uh, and I, if, I, if I remember correctly, Tommy said to me in that initial phone call, uh Vince wanted me to make you the first phone call because he doesn't want to go forward if you're not involved. And which I always felt in hindsight that was a you know pretty unfair, you know, because I when I left there in ninety five, I swore I'd never work for Vince again and I haven't. Um, so I, I you know, it's sort of like saying to me, Well, if you don't come to work here in two thousand five even after you got fucked, royally fucked, working here in 95, then you're going to deprive all your buddies like the other ECW alumni from working because without you, they're not going to move forward. And, uh, hey, I knew it was bullshit uh, because, you know, if they had this big, long meeting and Vince has decreed they're going to move forward with ECW, it didn't matter if Shane Douglas, the ghost of Shane Douglas, or a picture of Shane Douglas was on the show. Uh, that's, if you understand how Vince operates, you know, that's the way he operates. He's not going to sit there and say, well, I can't do it because I don't have that one guy I want. Um, You know, so I don't know. You'd have to ask Tommy Dreamer that question, but you know, it's uh, I remember the time it was mid afternoon and uh, he had said that they had just walked out of the meeting and, Vince wanted him to make the first phone call to me. And you can imagine how how warm and fuzzy I felt inside. Like, hey, Vince loves me. Vince likes me. Maybe I can get <laughs> back
3: to work with Vince. <laughs> yeah, as if. Have you ever actually watched the new ECW? Like, have you ever gone back, or did you watch it live? Were you had any interest? Like, okay, they start these. To so, begin. all right, let's see how they watch how it goes, or maybe let's see how Vince fucks it up.
1: but no, I never watched it live uh, in large part because I don't watch much TV i I really don't. Uh, I would say in a month's time, I'd probably watch three or four hours of television, maybe. Um, so I didn't watch it live. Uh, but I did go back and watch episodes or portions of episodes. Uh, online as uh, they were being posted out and I think more to satiate my own it, it, there it's crazy as it sounds there was a small part of me a tiny part of me hoping that they would relaunch ECW, that they would get it back that because I know what for the seven plus years that we were in business how many young talents me included benefited from that and so there was a there was a portion of me you know wishful thinking hoping that they would do that but again knowing vinceley i know him I, I i know him as well as anybody in the business can know him uh i knew that that was not going to be the case and so i would go back and watch sort of like you watch as you're driving by an accident you know you, you can't take your eyes off of it uh watching it for that reason and as soon as I started seeing like again nothing against anybody, this is not taking a slam at anybody but for those of us that were ECW and the fans of ECW, it ain't just a place you can plug anybody, especially any sports entertainer into it's it's a very finite taste and quality to be ecW. Uh, that that's not an elitist comment or better than now. It just is a comment, right? I mean, if you go back and you look at, uh, two guys on the top of my head, Hulk Hogan or Bruiser Brody, which one would be ECW, right? Pretty simple comparison. And when you suddenly started seeing John Cena, uh, on there and, you know, by all accounts, had one of the better matches with Rob Van Dam in that new ECW. It still was, no matter how you slice it, not ECW. And you know when you see the video of the zombie walking out there, mm-hmm. uh, just you shudder. You know, like if this is what they think ECW was, or their interpretation of what ECW was then clearly somebody ain't been watching ECW uh, because that is not, when you watch, if you didn't, if you turned the sound down and had no idea that there had been another ECW that was launched by Vince after the demise of the original ECW. If you turned that sound down and watched that clip, you'd think you were watching Superstars 1989. Uh, it, it was completely atypical for ECW, and certainly as uh, about diametrically opposite to ECW as you can get. But again, looking back with you know with the luxury of time now, I have no doubt that the rumors that I heard at that time are absolutely correct. Especially watching this uh, uh, documentary about ECW that. You know, it's, you know, with all due respect to the input by Shane McMahon and the discussion about his desires and his thoughts, uh, you know, Shane's a brilliant guy, right? And you listen to his commentary, it makes perfect sense what he's saying. But then when you look at the product they put out as the new ECW and bounce that back off of what Shane McMahon's comments were, it's clear that either daddy was fucking Shane uh, setting him up to make these comments or Shane was led to believe that they were going to go in a certain direction that they ultimately did not go with. Um, But you know, the the product to me, you know, for the fans that watch it from outside and were the, the main reason for ECW's success, you know, Sandman said something in the uh, documentary that really hit home with me when he said, you know, from the moment you got there, uh, you had, it was endless fun or something like that. A paraphrasing, but, and it really was. Uh, every place else I've wrestled, even as a kid break into the business, it still was a job. I loved it, but it still was a job. ECW was a weekend getaway. It was a uh, vacation that no matter how busy you were with the rest of your life and kids and whatever else, you're getting to go on the road for the weekend at the ECW. And I would, you know, again, the fans can give their interpretation of this as to whether I'm right or wrong. I would dare say that the quote-unquote new ECW never came within a country mile of what the original ECW was.
3: with sandman with dreamer obviously shane mcmahon making those comments did you find that somebody was missing when they were talking about the original ecw did you find that maybe they should show uh some video or pictures <laughs> of you or maybe mm. talk about you uh considering you're the reason why there was an ecw to begin with <laughs> well I, I, I gotta
1: clarify there that's not a correct statement uh Todd Gordon and you know what they did with ECW. ECW had Shane Douglas never existed, ECW would have still existed and would have gone whatever different direction it would have gone in. Um, but it's comical to me. Like let's just look at the WWE library. So on the rise and fall of ECW, what do they say? There uh, had it not been for a character with the name of the franchise. Uh, There would have been no ECW. And then they do this one, supposedly appealing to ECW fans and somehow try to do a political correct wash of that. I I think I saw myself briefly the clip or two, uh, but never mentioned. And look, Dreamer and Sandman are both are, are great representatives of ECW, you know, so there's no disrespect or dishonor being done by those guys talking. But to any ECW fan, or maybe to preface that and say any real ECW fan, to put out a documentary about ECW uh, and sort of glean over the fact that there was another character involved there. Uh, Paul Heyman's intention with the franchise character was a brilliant one it was to be that in the midst of all that chaos and all that violence and all that insanity, that was ECW. The champion was a wrestler who had been brought up in wrestling had cut his teeth in wrestling, was trained in wrestling and had been known to wrestling fans. So it wasn't like I was just a guy that could go on to a bunch of backflips or, uh, put somebody through a table or hit somebody with a chair. Uh, I was already established as having had a pretty solid career in professional wrestling. So to somehow gloss over the fact that the guy that threw down the NWA title that gave birth to extreme championship wrestling. So I think, JPS, what you were trying to allude to earlier, uh, there would have been an ECW had Shane Douglas never gone there. Uh, But the, the attack as we know it now, in hindsight, the history of ECW started in earnest. The ECW we all think about and talk about with the throwdown of the NWA title on August twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-four. So to somehow gloss over that and just throw a clip of me here or there and and pretend and and Francine as well or Sherry Markel uh, to sort of pretend that somehow was like just a footnote to ECW. I think aside from you know flipping a finger at the wrestling fans, that the ECW fans, that were a component of ECW success, a big component of the ECW success. I, to me, it's as telling as the nose on my face as to what Vince's real feelings about wrestling fans are. Hey, fuck you guys. I'm, you know, I don't give a fuck what you think the narrative is. I'm going to tell you, sort of like fake news today, I'm going to tell you my version of it, and you can take it or leave it. And no matter how many times they try to do this, whether it was one night stand, the relaunch of ECW, the the ill-fated relaunch, uh, or now this documentary, you know, you, you can sort of revise history and cut the edges, you know, the square edges, you can round them a little bit if you want, but ECW fans know what ECW was. And you can rewrite the history as many times as you want or have your 23, 24-year-old 23 writers, write it as many times as you want. Those of us that lived it know it ain't going to change. That narrative doesn't change. And you know, like we say, written in stone, the ECW, the original ECW legacy is now written in stone. And there's no changing that. Uh, the, the legends that have come out of ECW, even the ones that weren't legit legends, that were sort of crafted along the way, i.e., we all had five-star matches, and there were never any bad nights in ECW. Those of us that were there know that ain't true. But that's the legend that's become ECW. So you can put out whatever sports entertainment narrative you want of it. Uh, the bottom line is our legacy is written in stone. The franchise character will forever be known to those fans because of that legacy. And that's I, – I, I coined this phrase years ago, and I'll stand by it. Vince may have bought the name out of bankruptcy, but the legacy of ECW belongs to us and the fans. And that's what drives that billionaire
3: nuts. I'm always just curious because it did make its return in the new ECW as well. What was up with that jacket? Paul Heyman used to always wear that long leather jacket. I mean, he wore it in uh, ECW and the new ECW. He had to bring it back as well.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny about that jacket. Whoops. The guys still there? I dropped my yep. phone. We're here. Yep. What is uh, interesting about that jacket was we had gotten together one year, a bunch of us, and I can't remember who, but me and Francine and Damian Farron and I don't know, a bunch of the guys and wanted to get Paul something for Christmas. And we couldn't think of what to get Paul for Christmas. And uh, I had seen that long leather duster somewhere on the road. And I thought that you know, that would that's pretty much it. And I forget he was wearing something similar to that, maybe shorter, uh, but something in that vein. And I thought, well, he, he's about due for an update anyway, because you know I, Paul's not exactly a fashion plate, nor am I.
2: But <laughs> you know, Paul
1: wasn't exactly a fashion plate, and uh, so I thought you know that would be a pretty cool thing for him to be able to wear on camera and whatever else. And then it became a joke in ECW that that's like all he ever wore, like no matter what, where, wherever, whatever you saw, Paul could be ninety degrees outside. Paul had the the long leather duster on, um, and that's where the that's where the, the the long leather duster comes from. It was a Christmas present from the crew
3: to uh, Paul. That is great, and I like that the story that comes from that. Now, when they did do the reboot. Were you pissed at all? Like, wow, they're restarting ECW and you know, Vince is doing it. It's going to totally kill the legacy of ECW. Were you mad that he did that? mm
1: Absolutely not. If anything, I knew it would make it even bigger because I, I, I was certain I didn't have uh, proof of it at the time, but I knew that Vince was perturbed at the ECW chance that would often break out at his tapings. And like I said last week, the – one of the most difficult things to sanitize off of editing is sound uh you know if you see the fans booing but the is everybody's you know waving their arms in the air your brain tells you something ain't quite adding up there something's not you know even if it's done perfectly well your brain's telling you that fans don't wave their hands in the air when they boo uh likewise when you see fans Pumping their fist three times in the air at a wrestling show, pretty likely the chanting ECW. Uh, And that, you know, I'd heard for years, through multiple avenues of people that were working there that drove Vince nuts, that he would get so pissed off that the fans would break into that ECW chant when he wanted them to cheer Snowball the Rock is Cooking or whatever. And that, I was certain at the time, although I had no proof of it but that was his intention. Based off of my experience there in 95, when he would never call it ECW, and now suddenly he's wanting to relaunch this, uh, I was 99.9% certain that's what he's going to do. Something to make that version of ECW so crappy, so non-ECW, that fans wouldn't want to chant ECW anymore. And, there was a concern that I had at the time that he may succeed, whether it's temporary or not would be the question. Um, but yeah, out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, at that time, we've been out of business for what, five years, four and a half years. And so you, you sort of had the thought like, you know, oof, you know, he's really making a stab at this. But the one thing I was certain of is all I have to do is close my eyes and put myself back in the ECW arena and seeing the rabid nature of those fans and I don't want to say more so but at least equivalent to since when you come to fans at WrestleCon conventions uh, you know out on, on the road on shows uh, going to the grocery store and a fan comes up and starts talking to you about ECW there is a quality to the excitement in their voice. That's unmistakable. Uh, it's not, hey, I remember you guys. You guys were okay, and I i, I liked the WWF. And I loved the WCW. And I loved NWA. And I, it's not that. It's like to those fans that got it, ECW was the end-all, be-all. Uh, so, you know, I was pretty sure at the time that it wouldn't succeed. Vince's attempt, but I had no doubt whatsoever that that was Vince's intention was to try to squash that ECW chant and, ergo, the legacy of ECW altogether. That's like one of the phrase that he could buy the name, but the legacy would forever remain with us and the fans. And I, I think you know, to a guy that's a control freak like Vince McMahon, you know, there's very few times, uh, it's very seldom that somebody like that doesn't get his way but in this case the ECW fans stayed true to form and flipped Vince the uh, to steal a phrase from Taz the fuck the world finger uh, and you know told Vince like hey your is your a fucking joke and if anything if that wasn't I've never had a conversation with Vince don't plan anytime soon but if that was his intention, and I'm pretty damn sure it was, uh, he failed miserably at, at that, almost as bad as the original XFL. Um, and if anything, he made the ECW legacy even larger. You know, suddenly instead of 10 feet tall, we were now 15 feet tall. And the fans that remember the original ECW can only longingly watch WWE and think about what could have been like Tommy drew made the comment in the documentary, right? That had we had the outlet, uh, that WWF had or had the money that WCW had, we would have taken over and I could not agree more. And I've made the comment several times here on this podcast. Had we had that kind of backing that we've seen P and a half a billion dollars. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that we wouldn't be competing with WWF. We would have put them out of, we would have put them out of business. Uh, there was a different quality. Uh, we've talked about it here. Paul had a special knack of writing and creating characters. And then he had an incredibly gifted dressing room to carry that out. And then even add their two cents to it. You know, like Paul Heyman, if you remember his original incarnation of Shabu was to have him chained to a dolly, right, and taken out by 911 and he couldn't speak. Uh, But the incarnation that got over with Sabu was something exponentially grander than that. The franchise character's original concept was to have the franchise wear uh, jerseys of other sports heroes, Dan Marino at the time, Lawrence Taylor, uh, Mario Lemieux, and... Shane Douglas knew that if that character was going to be able to have the kind of braggadocio that he'd have to have, he would expect Mary Lemieux and Lawrence Taylor and uh, Dan Marino to wear his jersey, not the other way around. So, you know, Paul was an incredibly gifted writer, but he had an incredibly gifted dressing room to carry those plans out and add to them. And that really was the magic of DCW, the elixir of mixing Paul's creativity with the creative juices of that dressing room and, and the rest of history.
0: You know, we can kind of give you a unique perspective from the fan side because John and I went to a lot of those ECW shows because we were nostalgic for what they were going to bring to the table. Now, what they ended up kind of doing with the guys that we were used to seeing in ECW was almost like a tale of two different shows. So now you'd watch the TV product and you'd be watching guys like Justin Credible, you know, being enhancement talent or Danny Doring being used as enhancement yeah. talent and really getting little or no offense in, in a match. Whereas if you did go to a television taping and got to see five or six matches on the card, you actually did get to see your Tommy dreamers versus just incredible in a competitive match. And I think had they maybe presented that on television, you would have been able to do like we've been talking about for two years on this show, hooking, the old audience in by giving them something that they want to see rather than them being like oh well yeah just incredible he was an ecw champion well now he's losing to and i'm yeah you know, i mean it's a bad example because they were pushing him but you know he loses to punk in a minute and a half or whatever it was trying to make it as competitive as possible so going to these shows you went in with the feeling of i want to see these ecw guys there's the logo there's the music here's the superstars. But then as the, uh, you know, the, the cameras go on and the red light hits, you know they're being jobbed out for the most part.
1: Yeah, and, and again, ask yourself, what would the objective of that be? If you're Vince McMahon making that decision, why would you make that decision? Uh, if, if, I, if I tell you, hey, I'm going to relaunch the Pittsburgh Steelers, but instead of uh, Ben Roethlisberger and, and Juju and, and uh, Connor. We're going to give you, you know, uh, uh, Joe Blow, Harry Harry Conick, and somebody else, and you know, just give you some generic version of it. But they'll wear black and gold. Don't worry, they're going to have black and gold on, and they'll have Steeler logos on the side of their helmet. But it, it won't be the Steelers you think you're going to see. It's going to be somebody similar or in the same vein, or or maybe not so much in the same vein. It just, again, you have to go back and ask yourself from the fans' perspective. What I'm saying is pretty much borne out by what you're saying. Uh, what would Vince's objective be by doing that? And the only, from a producer's point of view, that I can come to is that it was to squash the original ECW legacy and it so we can put it, our version of sports entertainment in or to squash it all together so that you damn fans, people like you and JP that come out and chant ECW, that like, god damn it, you won't want to do it anymore because this ECW is going to be so damned embarrassing to watch. Uh, you'd have to get inside Vince's head or interview Vince McMahon to get the answer to that. And even if you did interview Mike that, you'd probably get a straight answer. Uh, but I, I, I can, you know, I'm pretty good at reading the tea leaves of my business. And I can't see any other objective being met by doing that, you know, bringing a Justin Credible out there and having him get beat by the zombie or John Cena, and then give you a house show match where he and Tommy German tear to house down. Why is that a house show match and not a televised match?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was the tale of two shows because you watch the TV product, and the one good thing about that TV product, if you could really say there was one good thing, is that it was an hour, and they didn't overkill you, so you had a couple segments to get your matches in, your storylines over, you know, a couple promos here and there backstage, and, and that was it. An hour is the perfect duration for a show like that, but then you'd go to the house shows, you'd see these um you know more competitive matches with the guys you wanted to watch but that show specifically that we're talking about where we saw uh, dreamer and, and just incredible was the night that Rob Van Dam had the title taken off of him after the arrest so that show really being the turning point in that documentary to that basically that Vince was waiting for ECW to slip on a banana peel as a collective unit and it happened in the former Rob and uh Sabu getting pulled over
1: yeah and now, again, you'd have to ask your, Vince what his reason would be, but I, I mean, it's it's pretty clear to me when you see all those things, uh, you know, the ancillary stories we've heard, like the arrest and you know all the all that we now know is being the new ECW, the original ECW, and I I don't think it takes an Albert Einstein to figure out what the intention was. Uh, to me, it's it's crystal clear, um, but. Comical that how much the blowback on it has been. You know, that now they're having to put out a DVD and, and a, a documentary ostensibly on ECW, but really their version of ECW. Uh, and then you hear all these stories that sound almost uh, pat, you know, right? Like we need to come up with an explanation for this and we need to come up with an explanation for that. And so let's just sort of plug this stuff in. Uh, the one thing about WWE is, and you can never argue with this, this, is an events thing. I mean, it's the talent that people have around them. Their production values are flat out phenomenal. And so when you watch this, this uh, documentary and, you know, you you hear the uh, Shane McMahon comments, uh, you know, the, the footage that's thrown in between, it's a, it's a very well done production as far as, but, you know, they could uh, use still words from uh, from Rick Flair, they could put the proverbial broomstick versus the mop and make that compelling production wise. Uh, thing about ECW was it was done and I, and I hate to use the word because it becomes so overused, but it was as organic in its success as anything I'd ever seen in my year at that time, my eleven, twelve years in the business. And I would dare say anything that I've seen in the business since. It it really got over, not because we had the prettiest building in the world, because it was a cockroach-infested bingo hall at that time. (laughs) It wasn't because we had the slickest uh, production values, because we had two cameras, a stationary and a handheld. And God bless Charlie Brzezzi for for being the handheld, handheld operator because there was very little, if anything, that Charlie Brzezzi ever missed. Uh, And it wasn't because we had so much money to dump into production values that we could make that so compelling. What we had was a dressing room full of men and women who would disallow any other company to outwork them, and there wasn't a lazy bone in the ECW locker room. Uh, And that bleeds through. You know, then you turn on that, documentary and you see you get reminded of all that was horrific about that new ECW and that's not a slap at anybody that was performing for that side of the table uh but to the wrestling fans the letters ECW have a certain connotation that have been aggrandized over time and become legendary uh you know, if there's a restaurant in town, that's a legendary restaurant that people come from all the surrounding States to come visit this restaurant. If they walk into that restaurant and that steak isn't as succulent as they always heard it was by the legend, uh, those people are going to leave that restaurant a little bit dismayed, probably pretty pissed off and going to be too eager to get on the internet and say, Hey, I went to the legendary restaurant. It sucked. Uh, Somehow, the original ECW has withstood the test of time. The assault brought on by a company of sports entertainment with all its incredible production values, and somehow still that rat-infested, cockroach-infested bingo hall that was the original ECW still was the reigning champion of the ECW legacy. That in and of itself, is going to drive that billionaire fucking nuts, and I love it.
3: <laughs> I loved it on the documentary, I'm told that they're talking about how, oh, if we didn't name it ECW, uh, if we had it named something else, obviously eventually it would kind of become a feeder league and now known as NXT. But I love how they're like, oh, if we didn't call it ECW, it would have been great. No, it still was horribly booked and horribly executed and it still wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have been great. But if, if Dean Douglas can make a return and... God, you know, I've been dying for him to make a return since 95, 96. But, <laughs> you know, do that as it may. Um, yeah. <laughs> what would the grade be, Dean Douglas' grade, for the new WWE CW? Oh, God. It's <laughs> certainly a failing grade,
1: that's for sure. Uh, but I don't know that would have put it in the, in the sort of connotation of the Dean. I think it would have been a, a grade of NE, uh, not ECW. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, no matter how you slice it, would have been enough. And, and again, that's n- nothing stating about the people that performed in it, whether it was Big Show, John Cena, whoever. Uh, you know, to me, you know, again, we I we always go back and like to give examples of this creative genius that I've always heard about. Uh, does it really require a creative genius to know that someone like John Cena or The Big Show are not tailor-made for a new ECW? Uh, yeah, just it's, it's no commentary on their ability. It just is. They were to me, and my maybe it's my pea brain, but both of them are so uh, demonstrable of WWE of sports entertainment that suddenly to put them into this ECW pseudo shoot type company, uh, one, one has legitimacy and uh, the others don't. And, you know, I, but again, you have to ask the creative genius. Why the fuck did come up with that idea brain surgeon? Um, because it, it really doesn't hold water. You know, to me, the you know, I grew up with a, you know, being a huge fan when I was a kid of the no-name uh, defense for the uh, Miami Dolphins right in the uh, 17-0 season. Um, what Don Shola has always been lauded for was the fact that he coached that team in a way to conceal all of his team's many weaknesses and focus solely on their many strengths. So going back and watching them, you'd think, well, hey, they had a perfect season. Must be one of the greatest teams of all time. It's not the greatest team uh, to have ever won a Super Bowl. And really what it was was this great coaching by Don Shula. He concealed the team's weaknesses, focused on their strengths, and the rest is history. In the case of the new ECW, it's almost like Vince put a glaring hot spotlight on the weak, the many weaknesses that the performers that he had performing in that new ECW that was so not ECW uh, that it, they were doomed to fail from the beginning. You know, you've got a show that doesn't look anything like ECW, uh, counterfeiting the name ECW that had a very strong connection to its fans. And then on top of all that, you put guys out there that were completely antithetical to ECW and uh, products of sports entertainment. And I I can't think of a bigger formula for failure in something called ECW. Um, But again, you, you go to the fans... And and we'll see them here in a few weeks at the WrestleCon convention, the TMPT convention. Uh, You'll hear the fans there talking about it. Uh, They could say it far more eloquently than I ever could. I'm just simply giving the wrestler's perspective into it. But uh, clearly the new ECW wasn't quite the old ECW.
0: And I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind with this uh, little tidbit I've got for you on the new ECW. Now you mentioned the Big Show, who doesn't pop off the uh, the ECW page, uh, so to speak. You know, he's not nine one one. I mean, he's bigger than nine one one, but nine one one was a different beast. Now there were two matches in the new ECW that were not. I don't believe they were shown in the documentary, but I bet you'd never expect these people to have wrestled a main event for the ECW championship. On ECW programming, are you ready?
1: <laughs> yeah, throw them at, throw them at. Why not? I mean, we're going this, we're going this part on this painful hole, right? So
0: I'm going to do them in, uh, I'm going to do them in numerical order here. Let's go with uh, the chronological start. September 5th, 2006. The main event of ECW was a handicap match, okay, featuring oof. the Big Show <laughs> taking on ECW uh, mainstays degeneration x <laughs> so sean michaels wrestled yeah. in ecw
1: <laughs> Now there's a there's a fit huh it's uh now i'm wondering curiously along the way to this new ecw had he somehow stumbled across his smile had he picked it up back up by then or was it still lost at that
0: point? Well, that's where he he started to play second banana around this time to uh, to Hunter. So he was that, uh, that ain't the only banana he was playing. With. <laughs> he
1: was he
0: was a castrated uh, heartbreak kid. So now, so Shawn Michaels uh, competed in ECW in September two thousand six. But how about this one? And this one could kind of get in your craw a little bit because we know the history of what this guy said about competing in ECW, and that is. On the July eleventh, actually, I lied. I, I read the date wrong. July eleventh, two thousand six. The main event of ECW for the ECW World Championship was the Big Show defending against Rick Flair.
1: Well, you know what? You know, not as crazy as it might sound on the face of it. Uh, I think, had Rick taken up. Paul's offer uh, to come in to ECW. First of all, it'd been great for ECW, right at the time. Uh, you know, as the number three company, still fighting to find its sea legs, so to speak. Um, you know, but it was pretty clear to any ECW fan
2: the legit
1: animosity that there was between me and Ric Flair. Uh, so, Rick being involved. Not so much against the big show, but being uh, involved with the name ECW, I doubt that many fans would get the irony. But that match, uh, that that pairing of Ric Flair in the ECW ring, came very close to happening at an earlier date in the original ECW. So uh, that one, not as outlandish as you may think.
0: Well, it took eight years to get there, but I mean, obviously the, uh, the creative that you and Paul, basically you've talked about it before on the show. I mean, that was unbelievable. Had he had the opportunity to accept that and he, uh, he chose not to, uh, imagine that. So now eight years later, he's in WWE, ECW coming through the ECW brick entrance in the robe. The whole nine yards was the nature boy. Woo. Ric Flair in an ECW ring. <laughs>
1: It's it's all it's it's everything you always expect to see in a hotel lobby, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thumbtacks
0: uh, thumb ta- thumb and all. Let's throw that out there. Thumbtacks being involved in the match. How come they didn't yeah. book Flair against the Zombie? That would have been kind of fun, don't you think? <laughs>
1: Well, why not? I mean, if he can make a broomstick look good, he should be able to make the zombie look good, right?
0: <laughs> the zombie, the greatest story ever with the zombie, and obviously, rest in peace to the zombie. I'm not trying to disparage anything. Was the zombie explaining how when he showed up to uh, to be the zombie, <laughs> he didn't look zombie enough, and Paul had ex- instructed him to go out and rub dirt <laughs> all over his, uh, his clothes. <laughs> and it's like, there's the genius of Paul Heyman we talked about last week. He told the zombie <laughs> to get his clothes dirty, so there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, because the makeup department and, and WWE probably couldn't quite handle that commission. It was, you know, a little bit of a bridge too far. Like, we can make Shawn Michaels, like he got beat up by 165 people, uh, we can come up with all these neat little things that we do, uh, but we can't quite make a zombie look like a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow... Somehow something's missing there in that in that whole equation.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, thanks a lot for watching that. And hopefully if you haven't seen it, you can go out and watch it. It's on WWE's YouTube. Go through the YouTube. Don't go through their website. Go through the YouTube and uh, enjoy it through there. And, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, see what other people think. But remember, Francine, three poop emojis, and that closes the book on uh, <laughs> WWE's ECW so now Shane speaking of closing the book we're going to wrap it up for this week a fun episode to say the least this was a great look back and uh, all the big things we've got going on like I mentioned earlier in the show on the morning of Wrestlemania the mark out at the Meadowlands convention keep we keep on adding people every day it's it's unbelievable the response that we're getting and now all the wrestlers who are making their plans and uh, seeing some open spots that we did have are getting filled up so uh, if you want the opportunity to meet some amazing superstars. Head over to matmcon.com and get your tickets now to join us at Markout at the Meadowlands the morning of WrestleMania, April 7th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's going to be a lot of fun. Shane will be there alongside Jerry Lynn, and just the almost 30 superstars that we've got uh, in attendance for this thing is going to be unbelievable. Uh, and not to supersede. Just about a month after that, we've got the big TMPT Con 3 in Richmond, Virginia. You can head to our website, which is tmptofwrestling.com, and you'll get all the information there for Jim Cornette, the Midnight Express, and the Shane and Francine reunion. So it's going to be an unbelievable date in Richmond, and uh, you're going to be there for both, Shane, and that's the way we, uh, we couldn't have predicted it any better. So we look forward to seeing you, and if you want to get in touch with the show, please reach out. Via social media, specifically on Twitter at the franchise SD, at Two Man Power Trip, at Wrestling and at the Three Threat Pod, and uh, Shane, that's uh, that's about it. I think all we've got for this week. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Where are you going to be this weekend and uh, doing your thing out there? Hopefully with some uh, <laughs> some new franchise gear. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, thank God I have a. Just like the old, uh, uh, the old uh, Looney Tunes cartoons. Just saved myself a spare for just such an occasion. Uh, I do have a, an, an extra couple pair of boots, franchise boots uh, that are, are going to be pressed into service this, this coming weekend. I'm going to be in uh, Oak Hill, uh, West Virginia this coming uh, tomorrow night uh, on Friday. And Saturday we'll be outside of Charleston, and uh, I'll down with the uh, Moose, uh, as you guys know, and uh, looking forward to it. You know, it, it, I always love getting down to that area because it's got its connection back to, you know, the uh, UWF and and the uh, NWA and Georgia Championship Wrestling, and uh, you know, so for me, like that whole area just takes me right back to being a kid in the business again.
0: No, oh, that's awesome. That's great that you could still hit those towns and uh, come out and see the franchise. And please, if you're gonna tweet out any pictures, you know, try to tag the show because I go looking for them. And every weekend I see whatever Shane's doing, whether he's uh, turning heel on the crowd, he's uh, he's getting chopped by Ricky Steamboat. It's always fun to follow the franchise's <laughs> follies out there in the, uh, the the squared circle. So Shane, we're going to wrap it up here for episode 86. Get on the road to episode 87, and that's where I'll hand it over to you and take us out in the only way the franchise can.
1: 86 big, epi- big episodes under the belt. Big, big, and bigger stories coming in the next 21 days. No, just kidding. Big, big stories coming here very soon. Make sure you tune in next week, because if you don't, you're liable to get your ass franchised.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.